Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Beckingham, the other co-host. Well, Tyler, when you think of New York City, we can tick off a lot of things that come to mind. Uh, Wall Street, the stock market. Brooklyn Bridge. Brooklyn Bridge, the Statue of Liberty. You know, the World Trade Center Memorial. Correct. The Freedom Tower now. So much to think about in that great American city. Uh, what p- most people don't think about it in New York City is that it is the uh, largest, and I think many people would say the greatest American coastal city. And it is in an incredible natural environment as well. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We are thrilled to be talking with Kate Mosier today. Uh, she is with the Billion Oyster Project, and she's going to be giving us a tour of. New York City, we're going to go through uh, what natural features exist there and in, kind of look at it from a new lens. Just imagine what Manhattan would look like if you got rid of all those buildings and it was just a natural thing. It just peel back the onion a little bit in that part of the world. And we're going to talk about Billion Oyster Project, this awesome organization in New York City, which is doing a bunch of great work rehabilitating the waterways and talk about some of the cool programming they have going on right yeah. now. But before we get into it, Peter, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical firsthand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. Well, Katie Mosier, thank you very much for taking time out to be on the American Shoreline Podcast. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. I'm so glad to be on the show today. I'm loving this podcast and I'm really happy to talk to you guys. Well, we have been looking forward to speaking with you and the Billion Oyster Project for months because the work you do up in New York City is incredible. And I, I think what we, you know, when we were setting up the interview and, and just trying to get familiar with your work, I think Tyler and I both were uh, dying to learn more about the natural history of the city and what the environment was like uh, back before we changed it so drastically, because it, it's something we don't think about, about New York City, that it's actually an amazing coastal city. Can, can you take our listeners on a little bit of a tour of this city and why the environmental uh, condition of the city is so important? 
Yeah, absolutely. So the, 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 one of the most special things about New York City, other than the people, is the fact that it's, it's built around and within an estuary. And an estuary is, you know, where the salty water meets the fresh water and you wind up with this special condition called brackish water. And um, in, a, in a healthy and, and robust estuary, you have special animals that really love and tolerate this, this um, salty water and they can survive in a range of conditions. And, and that's what really makes a lot of these coastal cities so important, as we know. But um, in New York City, we're, we're in a place where things are a little bit different now with our hardened shoreline. But what we like to do is remember how special it was um, before everything got hardened and to think about um, what it might be like for people who are out um, just getting used to the water and paddling around and, and imagining some of those different canals that still exist and, and what they might have been like back in the day. Um, you know, from the, from the top of New York City up in the Bronx all the way down to Staten Island and out um, into Queens where we have Jamaica Bay, um, there's a really wide range of conditions. And so we have places where we have these beautiful marshes and in some places um, we're lucky to have some restored marsh areas with lots of seagrasses. Um, and then we have um, lots of creeks, little meandering creeks that go through, um, you know, the south of Brooklyn. Um, we have Coney Island Creek and um, Paddockett Basin, which are two fabulous little places where we work. Um, and then up in Queens, you've got Western Long Island Sound. And this obviously opens out from New York City into this broad, beautiful stretch that goes all the way out to the Atlantic Ocean um, in between Connecticut and Northern Long Island. Yeah, New York City is an amazing coastal city. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey to the effort um, to improve the environment in New York City, the coastal environment? Because when I'm thinking of environmental advocacy and environmental restoration work, um, New York City doesn't come to mind as the place to go. So what? Tell us about your journey to New York City and the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I didn't come to New York City as a, as a professional environmentalist. I came here a long time ago as a um, out of art school, um, and I did work in commercial art for a long time. Um, but as I grew older and began to have um, children, I realized that something was different and, and my satisfaction. And um, even though I loved art and I, and I still love art and I still love to paint, I really felt a need to, um, to get closer to nature and to learn more about New York City and, and all of the um, water that I could see, you know, really just out my window of my car at that point as I was driving over the bridges. And, um, and I felt like I needed to get down to the water. It was just calling. And so um, I went back to school. And um, during that time, I met a guy named Murray Fisher, who was the founder of the New York Harbor School, um, met him down at the Gowanus Canal, and he had a bag of oysters. And I thought, this is interesting. What is this about? And um, so uh, I started talking to Murray and 
met a bunch of other folks who um, were learning about oysters at the same time. And uh, I was introduced to a school that Murray had started called the New York Harbor School. And from there, I really never looked back. I, um, I, I did uh, stop working a few more times to go back to school, which I, I seem to have a habit of doing. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've been working with oysters now since about 2005 or six. And um, I'm very, very lucky to have this job. It's, um, it's become a way to really connect with, um, not only with New York City's very special um, natural condition, which really needs our help, but also to connect with the people of New York City. Um, and, and that's what I do through my work. I just think that is so cool. Uh, especially right now, I've got to imagine New Yorkers coming off of the, uh, the lockdown because of COVID-19 uh, uh, lockdown. But one of the things that I know New Yorkers, uh, a lot of New Yorkers could do is walk. And uh, I know the my my good friends who are New Yorkers spent a lot of time walking along the various waterways and were thinking about New York maybe in a, a different way, paying more attention to what's going on outside. Uh, Katie, can you tell us a little bit more about this Harbor School and and what it focuses on? It, it the curriculum. I did a little internet research before talking to you, and it seems it seems unique. It seems like the curriculum there. I, I noticed there was like an aquaculture class, for example. Example. Uh, what's going on there at the Harbor School? Yeah, so the Harbor School was really built um, with the idea that that the kids of New York City had the the right to learn about what's happening in their own neighborhoods. And so, you know, we obviously New York City being built on the water. Um, Murray's initial vision and, and that of the, the founding teachers of the school was to give students a way to study their natural environment instead of picking up a textbook and learning about, you know, what might be happening um, in, you know, in ecological places in, in what's going on in the Midwest and in, in a prairie, for instance. But um it's not just about learning about the biology. There's um, the marine biology. There's all these different um, aspects of learning about the harbor that are important. And, and some of that stems from working waterfront um, and having um, the ability to learn how to drive boats and repair boats. And also, like you mentioned, aquaculture, learning how to farm um, uh, different species. And um, of course, the oyster is one of those. Um, students also can learn how to um, be professional scuba divers. So there's a lot of different um, this training programs. Sounds like a dream that, school. I mean, I I, I'd go there. Can you? Does this count as accredited school? Like, if does it count for high school? Yeah, is it a high school? It's one hundred percent. Yeah, it's public high school. Oh man! It is. Um, it's not a screen school. So, and this is very deliberate. Um, anyone can go to this school. So you you don't need to have a certain grade point average or have, you know, prior training um, before you apply. Um, it's, it's open to everybody. Um, it's really to be a place where, where anyone can come and learn um, any number of different um, areas related to the waterfront. And so there is a marine biology track. 
there is, um, I mentioned aquaculture and, and we have vessel operations, um, engine, ocean engineering, and um, the newest track is a marine policy track. And that's become, the need for that has become very apparent over the last few years that, you know, there are, are so many different, um, different uh, ways that students want to and can advocate and and as very young people um, begin learning how to voice their concern for and their um, and the need to you know make changes uh, on the waterfront when 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 was this school started katie 2005 wow what a what an amazing a public school public service for the yeah. high school kids of New York City. Yeah. I mean, that is so damn cool. Yeah. Now, I got to give a shout out to my nephew, James Saliba, who is a New Yorker, lives in Manhattan, and his wife, Serene, who had a baby last night. So there's one more New Yorker today than there was oh. yesterday. And uh, his new son is uh, ought to be a candidate for the Harvard School. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. In, in about That's 15 crazy. years. <laughs> yeah, about 15 years. Yeah, he's signing up for the Harvard <laughs> School. Do you get a chance to go back and talk to students there about your work at the Billion Oyster Project? Well, the, luckily, our office is located right in the school. So wow. we have, uh, there's two Department of Ed buildings on Governor's Island. The school is on an island. And the kids, they take a boat every day to to get to school. Come on. Some of them take a few boats oh, because they might come from, fun. you know, from Staten Island. Or, um so um, yeah, we we have our main offices right in the in the school building, and then um, you know the idea is really that the that, that that is one classroom, but New York City is is the classroom for students as well. So you know they're they may be in the classroom for part of the day, and then part of the day they might be out on the boats and and learning how to drive the boats and getting graded on that and. Um, you know, getting certifications and getting um, different, wow. um, you know, proceeding through different tracks that way. How fantastic. I would have loved that. I was a marine biology major in college, but man, to be able to do that in high school. I didn't know yeah. how to drive a boat when I went to college. I hadn't lived near the water. My exposure was Jacques Cousteau. That's as close as I got to the water. <laughs> <laughs> and Flipper. <laughs> and Flipper, living in Wichita Falls, Texas. But uh, so the Billion Oyster Project is an amazing organization. I'd like you to, if you wouldn't mind, uh, introduce our listeners to this project, this nonprofit organization. Uh, what should people understand about the Billion Oyster Project? Great. So the, the Billion Oyster Project's mission is to restore oyster reef habitat to New York City through environmental education initiatives. So I talked a lot about the New York Harbor School. And of course we, we do you know, a large part of our work with the Harbor School students. But in addition to that, we work um, with, with hundreds of other um, community organizations and schools throughout New York City. And so what we try to do at, at, is think about how with every restoration project, every hands-on on, you know, on the bottom restoration project, we can engage students in that work. Sometimes we're really good at that and, and sometimes we're not. And, and you know, that's, that is, we consider that challenge to be like the, the work that we need to figure out how to do because if we can't figure that out and we, and we don't do it and we fail or 
you know, something goes wrong, which, you know, things go wrong all the time with, with restoration, as you know, but we, we will have taught students what we know, and we will have learned from them about, you know, their passion and, and what's going to drive them to, to continue doing the work. So, um, hmm. for example, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of the, um, the restoration projects we do, but, but I also want to mention this, um, this incredible symposium that, that we do. So this is a, we, we work with a lot of regional scientists and, and different um, universities, but we also work with very young scientists. And so we have this um, science symposium that um, we hold every year. And this year um, there are scientists from about eight or nine different schools, middle schools all over New York city. And these young scientists are coming to teach us about wow. what they've learned about um, oyster restoration science and, and really about anything that excites them about, about the Harbor and about the water. Um, so there's a Hebrew language Academy and um, the Red Hook neighborhood school. And so we're really excited to see what they offer us next week. How interesting. So the billion oyster project in addition, and it's an amazing board and, for the folks listening out there, Google up the Billion Oyster Project and read about it and check out what they're doing. It's a really powerful organization that does tremendous work. Um, your role, as I understand it, is as the director of restoration of BOP. What is your what is what what is uh, what is the scope of your job? What is your role in the organization? So my role is mostly to work with a team of um, technical people and project managers to get oyster reef habitats restored on the bottom. And so we, um, we on my team, we have a scientist, an engineer, we have um, a, a several really crackerjack field technicians. Um, we have a hatchery manager and, and a lab tech. Um, so all of these folks have um, some critical role to play um, at various points throughout the year in, in getting us ready to put oyster reef on bottom. And, um, you know, over, over the last decade or so, we, we started out very small, our, our little tiny, you know, what we call the reef was like the size of a desk. Um, and now we're, we're getting, you know, more partners and more, um, support from, especially from the state and the city um, to build larger reefs. So we've done a few, um, several acre projects um, and that involves taking um, cured oyster shell, which we collect from New York City restaurants. Um, and I'd love to say more about that in a minute, but we'll, um, we'll bring all of that shell to Governor's Island and then we'll um, load it into these gabions that we weld out of um, bar steel bar and then we fill them up with oysters and and then we put baby oyster larvae on them and then uh, we'll bring them out to the water um, using barges and and barges with onboard cranes and they all get lowered onto the bottom where we'll have to wait probably a year before we go back and hopefully see that magical things are happening and oyster babies have turned into filter feeding adults and, and fish and seahorses and crabs are all crowding around and, and making a, a new oyster reef. Let's talk a little bit more about the sourcing of these things in New York City restaurants. I have myself enjoyed a uh, dozen 
delicious oysters in uh, New York City with my friends. Uh, so I imagine that uh, the Harbor School and the Billion Oyster Project have uh, gone around to restaurants. Is that right? That that serve oysters and kind of have an agreement. Hey, you stick them in a bin and we'll come by and pick them up. Is that how it works? That's pretty much it. Yeah. So we um, we have collected about 1.5 million pounds of oyster shells wow. from That's a big, New York City restaurants. Wow. That's not quite a billion. I know that, that's, but it's a million. That's, that's pounds of shell. Though. Pounds of shell. That's right. It's yeah. not individual. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not nothing. And, no, um, it's a ton. That's so <laughs> It's more than it's, it's, a, a, it's yeah. half a ton. I don't know. <laughs> a million pounds. Many, is... many, many, many tons. Yeah. yeah. Many tons. Many tons. <laughs> a lot of oyster. Yeah. That's an amazing thing to do. And what was typical? What was what was the disposal of oyster cell previous to your arrival and the arrangements that you've worked out with the restaurants? Landfill, really? which is horrible. That is yeah. horrible. A waste of a resource. Yeah, right. And yeah, it's not just the fact that they're winding up in, in the landfill, but, you know, they're being carted out and then, um, you know, removed from the system entirely. And then also we're left without that really important um, shell on on the bottom. So instead of there being yeah. shell for oyster larvae to settle on, there's you know there's there's mud and muck. Okay, um, Katie, I just have to ask a question here. This might be a s totally silly question. I hope it's one I'm thinking of. Go ahead. Okay, well maybe because <laughs> it's 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 more like a scatter shot of like a general concept that I'm just going to throw your direction, but. Obviously, oysters are growing in the waters around New York. Uh, and I, I assume that historically the oyster industry in New York was a thing that existed. Does it still? Uh, what is there a historic oyster fishery um, d because of I mean, I just I remember when we did yeah. our pre-interview call, Kate, you mentioned that people these are not intended to be consumed, these oysters, which is my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. And I imagine that's because they're filter feeding New York, these, these waterways that have a lot of work yet to be done in the way of cleaning them up. Um, so human consumption would just be too risky at this point. But could you, is, is there a historical fishery? And is that, uh, have you eaten like a raw New York City oyster ever before? Is, it, is that a thing that can be done? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so there, uh, the first question, yes, there was a very robust um, oyster fishery in New York City. And people ate oysters, you know, you always hear, what we hear a lot is people ate oysters the way people ate hot dogs, eat hot dogs up the street. Really? And they, um, yeah, it was, you know, really the With ketchup and mustard? Eat. Or like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Horseradish. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but, but absolutely it was, you know, something that was, um, sustained people and was very much a part of the culture. Um, oysters were exported and uh, really important for our economy. But when, um, oysters were no longer safe to eat and the fishery shut down, that all went away. Um, you know, we, there is still a really wonderful oyster, um, industry on Long Island and also in Southern parts of Jersey. And, um, and, and we feel very connected to the grower community. 
um, you know, obviously even with the Harbor School, we, you know, we want students to be able to, to understand that that whole process is, um, that whole industry is available to them and, you know, students could, could grow up to be farmers, Nate. but um, not in New York City. And so, no, we can't eat them. Um, you could definitely become very sick if you ate an oyster out of New York Harbor. Um, and, and that is because of the combined sewer overflows. So there is um, really no way to, um, eat, you know, eat, there is no way to safely eat an oyster because not only are there legacy contaminants, but um, the sewage is, the, is, is, is definitely something you want to avoid. So... I'm curious about that history a little bit. So uh, you said it was shut down eventually. Um, I would assume that, and I think I've read that during the 1800s, there were oystermen operating off of Manhattan Island. There were docks dedicated to the landing and processing of oysters. Is that the right time frame when, when the oyster fishery was such a big part of the economy uh, of the island? Uh, we're, what are we talking about there in terms of what decade or where in the century centuries are we on the timeline? So, yeah, I think by the 1920s it was shutting down, um, if not fully shut down. Okay. And yeah, so um, beyond that, um, really there were you know no more seed beds, so no more oysters being, no more shells being put on the bottom, and and no more farmers you know adding oysters to the water. Um, Luckily, we do have uh, a remaining population that um, only in the past year, uh, past few years, did we really understand um, that that far up the Hudson, there's actually a remnant population of oysters that is very strong. And um, if you uh, put something down in the water, um, the next year it will be covered with oysters. And this, this was a, a really big surprise for a lot of us. Um, but that's not true of most places in New York City, at least not every year. Um, we do occasionally, every two or three years, get a really wonderful wild set. Um, and we hope that that's a trend, you know, that that's um, increasing and that will continue to happen. Um, we, we also have some access to larvae from Long Island Sound as well. But um, are, no these different, are these different? like subspecies of oyster that you're seeing like from the from that wild hudson uh source you just described and the one up in long island are those the same type or are they genetically a little different so they're all the same oyster they're all the eastern oyster crossostria virginica um there's definitely um you know what what we think may happen is you, you get oysters that are acclimated to certain conditions. And so, um, you know, being that it's an estuary, if you go real far up, um, up the Hudson, it becomes freshwater. And if you were to pick all of those oysters up as adults and move them out to Long Island Sound, they'd, they'd be shocked. Um, Too much the salt. Are different. That's salty diet. Yeah. Not salty, good. right. Um, but, but that's okay because you, you know, w what you wind up with is, is a diverse population that, you know, we hope that the, that the larvae will continue to swim further and further out. And then you wind up with, um, different, you know, subpopulations that are acclimated to different conditions. And, 
and having oysters that can survive in that low salinity um, area will protect them from disease. Um, and having oysters that can survive in that really high salinity area are going to grow really fast. And so there's a lot of benefit to, hmm. to those different conditions in the estuary. And they're really absolutely. You know, they well, let's talk about the restoration work. And you, you briefly touched on it. And I want to take our, our listeners a little bit deeper into that subject. Um, I think for most of our listenerships, I think they do understand uh, that oysters uh, need a substrate to attach to, that oyster reefs and the, uh, historically and naturally are the substrate of choice. Uh, as the oysters propagate, they form large mats, and that substrate is what uh, the, the, the spats, uh, the larvae, settle on. But tell us about this thing you're doing with gabion. Tell us what a gabion is and how, how, how you manufacture those and then how you seed that. Could you take our listeners on a little uh, through that process? Yes. So uh, about four years ago, we started making these uh, gabions and it's uh, it, it came about as a design um, that our executive director, Pete Malinowski and um, the welder at New York Harbor School um, came up with. And while they were working with some students, the students and the teachers all came together and said, well, let's weld something that has some oyster shells in it. And it's going to be really strong and we can put it down on the bottom and, and we'll see what happens. And that's what's turned into um, what we call the gabion, um, which is not your typical gabion, but it's it's special in that it can um, it can be filled with oyster shells and then um, can be placed on bottom and is very strong. It can withstand, you know, uh, heavy wave action and surge, and it can um, allow the oysters that either recruit there naturally or that we place there enough time to grow up and start um, reefing up on their own. And okay. so, um, so a gabion, yeah. a gabion is a metal framed basket, right? And and so tell us how big is it and how many pounds of oyster shell can you this thing is open on the side so the water flows through and it contains the oyster shell to keep the reef substrate kind of together how big is it how what does it look like how many pounds would you put inside of a single it's pretty big it's sort of like a coffee table size so it's like it's two foot by two foot by four foot okay and weighs uh, about 350 pounds. That's and hefty. it's it's actually really pretty. We've, we've had people say, I, re- I really want this for a coffee table. I could put a piece <laughs> of glass on it. They're gorgeous. And um, okay. we're going to have to stick a pin in that. <laughs> so, one, one cool thing about them is they have these channels in the middle. And this is a design feature that our engineer came up with. So you put, um, we have these holes that run all the way through them and there's, there's three of them and fish can swim into them or, you know, small little critters can hide in there or forage and, um, it kind of adds to the habitat, um, value. Um, and, and when we've used them prior, we've, we've done it a few different ways. We've either put them down with no live oysters on them and we let the wild oysters recruit to them. But this year we're doing something for the first time and we're going to put these the gabions into what we call setting tank, which is a giant shipping container in in this case. 
and they will, um, the baby oysters will set up on the gabions. And then um, that whole container will be picked up and put onto a barge. And there's actually four of these containers. And, um, and then we'll take them over to the restoration site in the Bronx from, from Brooklyn. And we'll put them down on the water, and uh, and that's how we're going to build a reef. Wow! So let me just let me just talk th- talk through this one more time for my own. Make sure we're all on the same page here. So you've got these cool coffee table, two foot by two foot by two foot by four foot, by four foot uh, gabion uh, structures, which into them go shells with this cool kind of inner sanctum. Uh, uh, crawlway if you will for fish and uh crabs and whatnot everybody wants to go in there and hang out you got easy access to the interior then we're going to take those and we're going to load them into a shipping container right that you'd see on a giant ship a a steel shipping container yeah and then through that you are running water seawater seawater that you have seeded with spats is that right with with larvae yeah. with larvae and eventually we will reach a point where uh it's time to deploy these things so you're going to load these shipping containers onto a barge transport them out to the site and then at which point i guess you're going to need a crane or something yeah, it's a lot of, to yeah. pull each because you gotta i imagine you deploy each individual gabion individually is that right well, so because we're still, um, we're sort of going through our, our coming out of COVID um, haze here, we're, we actually aren't sure yet um, which method we're going to use. We have a couple, you know, obviously we, we've never done this this way before. Well, you could so dump it. You really, with that? <laughs> you could do a dump, you know, I'm just thinking you could like tilt, tilt one <laughs> end of the shipping container and just out it goes. I'm throwing ideas well, out. <laughs> It's going to be something like that, you know, but yeah, they'll either be picked up and lowered by crane or they'll be, you know, somehow pulled off, off the boat, but, um, they're going down one way or another. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So I, I, I think what I'm most excited about is, is the moment where they leave the, the terminal in Red Hook where they're going to be growing. And, you know, I love the point where things go down on the bottom, but, um, for me, the the really incredibly exciting thing about this particular year and this particular project is the the change in scale and and the fact that we're we're now doing this at um, a scale where we're actually using shipping containers. So when when these come off that pier and Red Hook, it's just um, I know I'm going to cry. It's just really. Um, it's really exciting for me to see this team come up with these incredibly creative ideas, these really challenging problems and, and, and watch what they're building. Um, So yeah, I'm super excited about it. What an awesome project. And for folks uh, who have access to a computer, if you're listening at home or at your office uh, on, on the billion oyster project, uh, there's a tab, our work oyster reefs, and you can see, uh, these this work underway, these gabions, and it's really I gotta say, what an exciting uh, organization! The integration of schools, the integration of an education and a high school diploma, uh, construction, barges, cranes, 
you know, the coordination with the restaurants. I mean, this is such an interesting and great vertically integrated program from from start to finish. And I have to say, uh, Katie, I'm wondering when you got this job in, I think, was it 2008? I think is when you started. Uh, did you ever think you would be, con you know, in the welding business and construction and barging things? And, you know, how did this, how did it, as this evolved, how did your mind change? How did much of this did you go, man, I never thought I'd be doing that? Um, I do say that a lot still to this day, um, you know, and, and actually there was, um, for the past couple of years, I've been doing less and less of that kind of work. I, you know, I've been doing more work um, because we have this incredible team. I've been doing more work at my computer and, and other people go out and do the, the fun stuff and the hard stuff. And um, what, what's happened um, with the quarantine is that we've all really needed to um, pick back up doing a lot of the, the work that uh, our volunteers frequently do. And we are an organization like many nonprofits that really, um, really relies on on the collaborative work that we do with the community to produce a lot of the, the structures that we build and to work with our shell with us and to help us in the hatchery um, with oysters when they're new and coming out and they got to go out fast. And, and so those volunteers, those interns, those people are all really critical to to our work. And with everybody on um, quarantine, our team is coming together now to do that work. And I'm I'm back out. We were out in the field today um, for the second day since uh, all of this started. So um, so I've been really happy to sort of get back to that and be doing some of those things that um, you know I started doing uh, a decade ago that that feel fun and connected and um, and are more hands on. Um, and yeah, fun, fun to be back there with the team, but we're really excited for volunteers to come back. Let's get to know, uh, Katie, some of the, you know, I, I, I don't want to say like profile for us, your volunteers, but let's get to know the ty types of people that are coming in and helping you out. I'm, I mean, one of the things that we open the show with is that, boy, New York City, for those of us that don't live there, we really don't think of New York as being a an environmental place at all. It's it's a concrete jungle. Uh, but I'm sure for New Yorkers, they live there. They are uh, they are inhabitants of of that environment. Um, how do how do your volunteers find you? Uh, can you can, just tell us a little bit about these these people that uh, that you're working with? Well, there's a real wide range of volunteers. Um, you know, we, we do have a, a very robust corporate volunteer program. So, you know, like um, we'll get a lot of bigger companies that will um, organize days with us. And, and that's exciting. They come in and they, you know, they really want to learn and they're able to devote a whole day to being um, with us as a team and learning how to do what we do. Um, but we also have a really um, wonderful program that we call it the community reefs program. And, and we build these field stations in different neighborhoods. And, huh. and so this is, um, you know, it's a different type of volunteerism, but it's it, instead of us saying, you know, come out to governor's Island and work with us. Um, what the preferred model for us is to 
go into the communities and ask them what what they want and what they need and and you know what excites them about being at the water and and how would they like to learn there and so that's uh that's something that um you know we're still getting better at um and we have a really wonderful team of people who will frequently spend you know when they can up to a year before things even go in the water going to community board meetings going into the schools talking to um, homeowner organizations and and learning what people what people want from their relationship with us and how we can help them yeah this is kind of a I guess a bit of a follow-up because uh, one of the things Peter and I have been following very closely in New York is the city's uh, investment and research and planning uh, for climate change for sea level rise for uh, increased uh, storm intensity so on and so forth. And one of the things that we know about oyster reefs, uh, certainly here in the Gulf Coast uh, and around the uh, uh, country, uh, certainly on the eastern seaboard, Peter, I'm not so sure we see this as much uh, over on the west coast, but I could be wrong. But we see oyster reefs being used as a uh, barrier, a, a kind of green infrastructure, if you will, to help reduce the uh, impacts of like storm surge or wave action coming in. You can imagine you got that oyster reef there. It, it gets in the way. It's something in the way. And, it, and it's also uh, performing uh, ecosystem benefits at the same time. Are, how, how is the Billion Oyster Project, uh, how does it fit into that uh, template? Are y'all involved in the city's planning and... Um, or have you already done stuff with regard to, um, you know, storm risk reduction? Yeah, it's it's a really challenging um, question for us here in New York City because our shorelines are mostly hardened. So, you know, in other estuaries, you might find a lot of opportunity to build shallow water reefs that can protect the the short like a softened shoreline from wave energy for example but here where all of our um you know we have these vertical hard vertical walls yeah you can't build a reef that's going to you can't build an oyster reef that's going to stop storm surge yeah it's already covered by the concrete i suppose yeah but but still, there are a number of opportunities there. They're just a little bit different. So, for example, there's a project called the Living Breakwaters that we've been involved with for about five years. And this is an, um, a very large um, reef system that has been being designed and, and will be built. And, and the purpose is to slow storm surge um, and to attenuate um, waves. And, and this is a project that is state-funded that that um, came after Hurricane Sandy. And our role in that is really to, um, it's called the living breakwaters. Our role is to um, make that breakwater be better in terms of the habitat that it provides. So we'll be putting oysters on the living breakwaters after those are built. Um, and then, you know, like you were saying that for for us, there's, um, there's definitely the biggest, um, benefit is the ecological benefit of having, a, a, a bottom that looks a little bit different, that has more hard substrate that has vertical relief that has nooks and crannies and isn't just flat. 
and that's um, something that we do with a lot of our partners. Um, we work we work very frequently with the Hudson River Foundation, so we're um, very interested in in working with scientists who can help us understand the benefit of different types of um, reef structures that we might build. It sounds like it, you guys serve an important contributing role uh, in the discussions to uh, look at ways to protect these uh, urban shorelines, uh, as you say, the suitability of of putting these reefs really close to Manhattan where the channels are dredged and their water is deep and it's hard and doesn't really make a bunch of sense. But uh, I, I'm glad to hear that you're involved in the discussions about these living reefs and in the, in the integration of uh, of oyster reefs and other natural, the natural benefit values of these structures that we are contemplating. I also wanted to point out that what, what impressed me in, in looking at, into the, the Billion Oyster Project was what an incredible list of supporters, how well put together this organization is, the breadth of the work that you do. But uh, I, I got to say, Tyler, there's a couple of Austin companies on the supporter list that I think are worth a mention. Tito's Handmade Vodka from right here in Austin, Texas was listed as a we supporter. Got a bottle of Tito's right over here. <laughs> right over here, we should pour one. And Dell uh, is also, but you know, the National Science Foundation, the governor's office, corporations of many different types, major foundations, including the Pew Charitable Trust, uh, the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation, to just pick a couple. And then the integration with the New York City Council. I, I got to say, uh, Katie, uh, if if you're, uh, you know, an activist around the country and you're looking how to put together an environmental organization to make a difference on the on the American shoreline, take a look at what these guys put together because it is a looks like a really powerful organization. Yeah, Katie, do you have any we to that note? I've, do you have any advice or yeah. uh, guidance that you would give? You know. We, we, some of our listeners are are starting organizations uh, just in the I guess they would be in the yeah. larvae stage here of the oyster <laughs> looking for something to attach on to. Right. Uh, what what can you give us as far as some hard substrate uh, in, in terms of advice? <laughs> well, um, you know, I think we do have a really fantastic um, team of people and, and, and a fantastic board who really understand, you know, the the arena and the and the and the different um, the different types of people and companies who want to come together to do this work. So we, we've been very fortunate in that regard. Um, I, I really do think that you know there's something about our mission that appeals to people and this idea, you know. And I was saying it's something that 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 is hard for us, but it but it appeals to people is, is doing restoration through education. And I don't think we're unique in that sense. I think, you know, most nonprofits are, are very committed at their core to doing, um, to doing work that, that does good and is good and works with the communities. But, but that's our, you know, that's definitely been something that we've pushed all along. Um, and there's also the idea that, you know, aquaculture is really special. And, um, and we believe that, that there's this connectivity that happens in a, in a city where you've got industry that is growing food and then it, the food is coming to New York City. And then there's this incredible 
um, community of diners and chefs and people who want to go out and enjoy, you know, food that should be coming out of their own backyard. And, and they're, and they love this idea that they can connect to that and, and have an oyster at the restaurant and, and somehow that's helping. And, and it is, mm-hmm. um, it's a big idea. Yeah, really, I, yeah it is. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a really big idea to, to try to, you know, restore the connections, not only the, the resource, but to restore the connection and the relationship to these resources and to the community and to the education and to the political system. It's just, uh, you know, this is the work that uh, so many around the American shoreline attempt to do. Um, tell us about what what's when you're looking down the road. We're in the middle of 2019 uh, 2020 here. I mean, who the hell knows what we're going to be allowed to be doing as we go <laughs> through the rest of the summer and into the fall. But leaving aside the potential substantial interruptions of our lives, uh, what is the what is the Billion Oyster Project looking forward to over the next 12 months? What's coming up for y'all? Well, one of the things I'm most excited about, um, and you mentioned Pew Charitable Trust, is is the work that we're doing with them, um, and and that's you know, obviously we're a big organization and we do a lot of things, but but this one is fun for me because um, this is a project that Pew is doing in multiple states, multiple coastal states to um, bring together. Uh, oyster restoration practitioners, shellfish, growers, um, regulators, and and all kinds of stakeholders who are interested in developing state-level plans to push this kind of work forward. And this is exciting for me because not only um, do I think it will benefit the folks in New York, on Long Island, and, and here in the city, and all the stakeholders we work with, but it's really an opportunity to see this come together on a on the whole coastal level and for us to meet other people who are doing the same kind of work and to get together and collaborate and learn from each other and i hope that we can bring you know some of the some of the lessons we've learned and and the things that we're trying to do and here in our urban environment and share that with with mm. other folks as well yeah fantastic i sure wish we could be there that would be a cool conference or a cool event to cover and to talk to the folks who do this around the country uh, in different communities and in different ways, uh, well, that'd be it. That sounds like a great, great initiative. Um, so when you have time to get out on the water, if you still do, um, do you kayak? And tell us about your favorite place to escape the urban, <laughs> I don't want to say urban jungle. I love New York City. It's, a, it's an amazing city. But when you want to get to the peace and quiet of the water, uh, is there a secret place you like to go? Well, uh, so I, I like to stand up paddleboard and, um, I will paddle in New York when I can. Although, um, I also love to paddle in on Lake Ontario. Um, and I grew up, up that ways as well. So, you know, really any, any body of water and I'm, I, I can't even say I'm really partial to a particular place. Um, I just like to be, you know, I love being, um, on the water, standing up, looking down and from that vantage point, getting to see, um, things that you might not otherwise see. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, really anywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So if, if folks were interested in, in, uh, learning more, donating, participating, uh, volunteering, volunteering, 
how do they uh, learn more about it and how do they contact you guys? Great. Well, you can go to billionoysterproject.org. Um, check out our website. There's usually, but of course, not during quarantine, but usually lots of volunteer opportunities there, which we hope will start back up soon. Um, we uh, normally have a really, really fun party every May called the Billion Oyster Project Party, and it's um, a chance to get together and eat oysters. It's uh, We call it Oyster Prom. Um, oh, man. But... It, but it's on hold until September. Um, come September, you know, I, my fingers are crossed, all of our fingers are crossed that we'll, we'll get to have that party in person and we'll have thousands of folks come and join us for, for oysters and beer. Um, but, you know, we've got uh, volunteer opportunities on Governor's Island um, when it's open again. Um, we've got lots of ways you can get involved just by learning, looking at our curriculum, um, if you're a teacher, um, if you're a parent and you've got kids at home, there's um, lots of resources on our on our website and our social media that will help you teach your own kids um, or your or your students about New York Harbor and oysters. Um, so lots of ways to get involved. Definitely check it out. Love that. Now, Katie Mosier, we have a tradition uh, on this show where we do final thoughts. Uh, and I'm going to begin because I've, I've prepared mine, no pun intended, because uh, mine is we were talking about the history of the oyster. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's oysters Rockefeller, Rockefeller. There's Rockefeller Plaza in right. New York. Is that a New York time New Yorker? Good question. Um, so I'm just my final thought is uh, and I was I pulled up a little Wikipedia here. This is Katie. You might you might be well versed in this. Wouldn't surprise me. But uh, interestingly, the Rockefeller was because it was so rich. He, at the time, John D. was the the wealthiest uh, yeah, American. Standard oil. Standard oil guy. So he, uh, they named this dish, but it was actually, it's basically a, a, an oyster on the ha- half shell with a bunch of herbs and butter over the top. Yeah, a little cheese, I think. A warm, a warm oyster dish, a cooked yes, oyster dish. Yes, yes. Broiled, broiled, which is, uh, you know, I are we I, right about this? Are we on the right track? <laughs> is that what you? Is that what it is? <laughs> I'm trying to think. Well, it probably is. I I don't actually like oysters. I have to, I have to admit. <laughs> oh my god, that's the headline of the interview. <laughs> that sounds good though. <laughs> Yeah, well, you'll you'll appreciate this. I've got. I was gonna withhold this piece of information. Again, Wikipedia. I'm. You know, this is half-assed internet research. But um, apparently, uh, the recipe came from escargot, huh. and it was because uh, they they switched to oysters because snails at the time were just not. Uh, not plentiful. Yeah, you couldn't get them. Okay. But oysters were, so they they switched it up. There you have it. That's my okay. final thought. Okay. Uh, I let off uh, just because I didn't want to pop one on you there, Katie. Uh, with it. Do you have a, any final thoughts, something you'd like to leave our audience with here uh, to close the show out? Hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I can't say I've got one prepared here, but, um, but I, I, I think that... Uh, as we pull out of this quarantine mode and and as we start to um, come back to something that looked like it did before, um, we really are 
in a different place in, in New York City and, and everywhere in the world with, with trying to understand how we can build communities that are more equitable and that are anti-racist and that are um, and and that are open to everybody and and I and I do want to make that my final thought because yeah. that's you know that is what's been on my mind and everyone else's mind over the last few weeks is um, you know it is much work as we have to do in in the water and in our environment um, and with the ecology we have so much more work to do in our communities and and with our people and with ourselves so I guess that's that's my final thought even though it's not oyster specific is is you know that that's the big work ahead and, and we have to figure out how to make that so so well said and so much appreciated uh, couldn't agree with you more ladies and gentlemen it is Katie Mosier the director of restoration at the Billion Oyster Project in New York City, an organization worth your investigation and your time and your support. Uh, Katie, what a pleasure to learn about the work you're doing. Uh, It's thrilling to know that there are people who dedicate themselves to the restoration of the American shoreline and are effective at it. That's the hard part. So thank you very much for telling us the story of the Billion Oyster Project for our audience on the American Shoreline Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was really a pleasure. I love talking to you guys. Thanks so much. Beaches are